0: Thanks team. Wasn't that wonderful? Please take a seat. This morning I've given the pleasure to share um, chapter one of Mark with you. And we'll head into chapter two as well, but starting with um, verse 21 in Mark. If you want to open your paperbacks, if they exist, (laughs) or the technological device that you may use, however, uh, feel free to follow on with my voice. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, "Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsingly convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, "What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And there he prayed, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him And kneeling said to him if you will you can make me clean moved with pity he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him i will be clean and immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean and jesus sternly changed him and sent him away at once and said to him see that you say nothing to anyone but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in the desolate places and people were coming him to him from every quarter. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralytic, Son, Your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of the Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic. I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them, so that they were all amazed and glorified, God saying, We never saw anything like this.
1: wonderfully read, Cain. How grateful I am for our elders. We meet once a month and we had the pleasure of meeting this week. And uh, what a blessing it is to have the holy, perfect and eternal word of God read to us by our elders. And um, it's something that I've instituted for the rest of this series, is to have one of our elders read the word for us each week And um, looking forward uh, to that. In fact, I want to commend our elders to you. They are a wonderful team of people who are um, commissioned by us, who are selected by us as a church body um, to look after the church. And I can attest to their prayerfulness and to their faithfulness um, and to their love and to the capacity they have to shepherd um, this church in a diligent, careful way. And God honoring way. And I am always overwhelmed at their desire to seek God on behalf of this church community. And I'm grateful for the encouragement that our elders are to me. I'm uh, always uh, blessed by the accountability that they bring to my life and to my leadership. And for the support that our elders are to uh, me and to Elise and to our family. Um, and no doubt to you as well, you have received a blessing of some kind by um, our elders. And so I take this moment to commend our elders to you and to thank them as well. I know Donna's doing the, run, um, the fun run this morning and uh, Fee's away. But Jess is here and Jeff is here and Kane is here. And uh, who have I missed? Andrew. Andrew. Uh, And and a way that we can be um, also returning the favour is Andrew's uh, mum had a stroke this week. She lives up in Foster. Um, Andrew and Ruth um, hopped to it as quickly as possible and drove to Taree Hospital, where it's expected that his mum most likely won't recover uh, from this stroke. And uh, all of Andrew's siblings, they're all there together um, and kind of taking it in turns, uh, watching over. Um, their mum and praying for her. And so as a um, church this week, let's be upholding um, Andrew who chairs our eldership um, and Ruth um, in prayer this week would be a wonderful, wonderful thing for us to do. Um, In fact, let's do that now. Uh, Father, we pray right now for Andrew and Ruth and for their extended family as they um, sit bedside with their, their very ill mum. And Father, as we've just heard the testimony of Scripture now, Father, that you are a God of healing. And we don't see what that looks like in its entirety all of the time and we have so many questions about that. But Father, in this moment, I pray that whatever healing is for Andrew's mum, Father, that your peace would be upon her and she would experience that in Jesus' name. And Father, we pray that Andrew and Ruth would know that they have a church um, who are praying for them, and that they would feel the peace of God that transcends all of our understanding and blows our collective minds, that you would guard them in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, knowing that I wasn't able to do the run uh, Sutherland to surf this morning, I got up at 5 a.m. and I did most of it. And I can tell you that at that time of the morning, it is a very pleasant drive. Uh, <laughs> Um, I most certainly do. I had you for a minute there, though, didn't I? Had you, had you for a minute. Uh, not a chance. Not a chance. Um, well, if you were here last week with us, or if you had the space um, to catch up online, um, you would have been blessed, as Jess brought away, um, of widening our vision and deepening our experience of God's kingdom through uh, blending a form of indigenous um, wisdom And God's word together and just led us to contemplate the interconnectedness of all things our connection with God and God's connection with us, our connections between each other as friends and as peers and as family. She spoke about our um, connectedness to God's creation. In all of this, that we would love God and that we would love ourselves and we would love each other and we would love creation and reciprocally we would also be loved. This this interconnected relationship of love between God and us and us and others and us and earth and earth and us and others and us and God and us. <laughs> Are you right, Jen? Jess's word confronted the um, often easily compartmentalized nature of faith that we have inherited and came to show that Jesus came for the whole person, mind, body, soul, spirit, and that of all creation. Salvation isn't just a matter of the human heart, but it is a matter of all of the human being and all of the human experience and all of creation itself just showed us that Jesus that faith in Jesus and living out a Christ-centered spirituality is not to be disembodied or disconnected but deeply embodied and deeply connected to all of life and the gospel no less the way that mark writes brings this very truth to light we've already seen and we will continue to see that Jesus lived a vibrantly embodied faith and he ministered to all from that place. In every moment, he was fully present to the Father, an interdependent, an interconnected relationship with the Father. He was present to himself. He is always seen to be in the moment, not flustered or jaded by anyone else's voice or experience, but entirely present to the people or person right before him. He was present both to the scene, what he could physically see with his human eyes, but he was also incredibly present and embodied in the spiritual realm, seeing the unseen. His feet were firmly planted in the dust of the roads of Galilee, that his feet were also buried up to his ankles on the beach by the sea. His hands were fully present to serve those in front of him. He was living a deeply embodied life with heart, mind and soul, fully alive in every moment to the all-loving, all-perfect community of the triune God. In fact, Jesus is the exemplar of true spirituality. He is the perfect vision of the Christian life. And I have a hunch that this kind of fully embodied Christ-centered spirituality that seeks to serve others and to live in worshipful communion with God and obedience to Him is what Jesus had in mind when he crafted the words in John 10.10, that I have come that you may have life and have life in all of its fullness. And I've heard many a preacher preach that verse to promote the follow Jesus and you will be healthy, wealthy, and wise, which of course are not bad in and of themselves, but these things were not the target in the sights of our Lord when he spoke of true life. Rather, full awareness of God's presence with a heart to see the Spirit transform our hearts and to see all of creation restored to God. In every moment, as you and I walk the streets, as you and I go to the cafes we go to, as we walk the beaches that we walk, as we go down the corridors of our offices or our schools or on bushwalks, That being alive to God, aware of his daily presence, alive to his mission, alive to each other, alive to creation, alive to God and his plans for us in our lives, that is true life. And it's to this quite simple end that Peter preached and that Mark took his pen to paper and wrote that we would truly find life knowing Jesus more fully and that we would follow him more passionately. And this is why we are in the book of Mark, to see the Christ-centered spirituality, to see the perfect vision of what the Christian life looks like embodied by the Lord Jesus, that we would know him more fully and follow him more passionately. You on board with that? Just making sure you're awake. Well, this far, I'll give a little bit of context in case you haven't been with us for the last couple of weeks. I've just recapped Jess from last week. Um, but this far we have seen John the Baptist, who is the, what was the, the big word? The harbinger of Christ Christ the one who was sent to prepare the way for the coming King by preaching a message of repentance and baptizing people. His most notable dunking was Jesus himself. And in the moment that John baptized Jesus, heaven opened and the Spirit descended as a dove, declaring Christ's identity as the Father's beloved Son and expressing uh, the Father's deepest pleasure with him. And in that moment, instantaneously, the Spirit whisped Jesus away into the desert to be tempted by Satan, where for 40 days he lived among creation, surrounded by animals and tended to by angels. We know from other gospel accounts that Jesus in this confrontation won the fight against Satan by total knockout. And he returned to Galilee to kick off his illustrious ministry career. In doing so, his very first stop was to gather a few local fishos. And so he walked down to the local jetty. He found Simon and Andrew. And he said, hey, lads, you're done with these piscatorial adventures. It's time that we go and, and haul in a fat catch of people. And this morning when I read that, as I wrote it this week, I thought, what a great name for a church, Fat Catch Church. What do you reckon? Do you think that'll stick? Fat catch. Fat catch community church. Anyway, they dropped their tackle boxes and their fishing rods, but still wearing their BCF. I saw who was wearing one this morning, one of the Hunziker boys, still wearing their BCF T-shirts and their wide-brimmed Bunnings hats. They left everything and followed Jesus. And then they moved along the beachfront a little bit further and found James and John mending their nets and Jesus called to them also, hey guys, follow me. And in that moment, James and John joined, bringing the Jesus movement to a grand total of five people. And here we are back in Mark chapter 1 verse 21 through to chapter 2 verse 12, where things really Begin to get moving. You may have heard the saying to gather ahead of steam. Have you heard this one? This saying comes from the world of steam trains. And steam trains had a boiler full of water that needed to be heated. And much like a kettle, when it reached enough temperature, the water would boil and steam would build up inside the big boiler. And when enough pressure would be built up inside that uh, boiler, it could be released and the brakes taken off and the train would take off on its journey. And if Mark 1, 1 to 20, the first 20 verses of Mark chapter 1 was Jesus and his ministry gathering ahead of steam... Mark one twenty-one and onward, what Cain read to us this morning, is where that head of steam had built up so much pressure in the boiler that the wheels of Jesus' kingdom mission began to turn. This was the Jesus train leaving the station with a thunderous roar. And these passages are a retelling of how, you know, in my mind's eye, it's Jesus... Tooting the horn, waving out the window to everyone, cheerio, turning back to the disciples, his four first followers, and saying, buckle up, lads. This is going to be one wild ride. And these passages that have been read to us recount for us three specific healing encounters and, in fact, alluding to perhaps tens or hundreds or even thousands more. You know, we we heard that as Jesus healed the leper, that the entire city of Capernaum gathered at the door where they were gathered and Jesus healed them. Which is why today the topic we're looking at is Jesus and healing. Got my work cut out for me. And I want to preface this by recognising that this topic is one that is really hard to get our heads around. You know, on one hand, we look at the scriptures that we have before us today, and we see the reality of God's healing power at work through Jesus. And it's not just in the Gospels through Jesus' ministry, but also through the book of Acts, We see healing occur through the disciples by the power of the Holy Spirit at work through them. And we accept that these stories are not made up but are true. And as believers in God's word as the authoritative truth, we understand that these stories of healing communicate to us something. They communicate to us the nature of God, they show us his power, they show us his authority. They show us his will to restore and to heal and to forgive and to set people free. I mean, these stories are a beautiful vision of God's nature and of God's character and of God's heart and what he he wants to achieve in the world. And whilst we hold that in one hand, the precious beauty of God's truth and the testimony therein, on the other hand, we also hold what I assume to be all of our experience and that is that we either sit here today, either unwell ourselves in some form or we have people in our lives who are also unwell and despite the endless hours of prayer for healing that either we or they have not been healed by God yet. I mean, this wrestle is real for me. I personally have brokenness in my body that I pray for regularly and that I've asked for prayer for on many occasions. I have a bung hip. My left hip, right hip, your left, my my right hip, it's crook as. I've got arthritis in there. I'm not even 40 yet. It causes me much pain, much discomfort, and it stops me engaging in activities that I love. It restricts my movement. For the last few weeks, I've been suffering from um, plantar fasciitis in my left foot, and it's really painful when I get up in the morning. It hurts to walk. By the time I've taken about 10 or 15 steps, it starts to feel a little bit better, but it's really sore. Perhaps, though, the most unnerving of my physical issues... Is an undiagnosable condition that causes the, the, the fleshy tissue around my tongue and my lips and my face to swell up without any known cause or trigger. I've seen specialists, I've had all the tests, and they just say, we don't know what it is. About 12 months ago, it had an anaphylactic response, and usually it's just in my, my lip, like half of my lip or half of my tongue. It hit my airways to the point I woke up and couldn't breathe. Taking stock of the situation, I thought it would be quicker if I drove myself to hospital than call the AMBO because I would probably be more dead by the time they got there. So I got in the car and drove myself to emergency, pretty well holding my breath. It was only a two-minute drive, so I could back myself for that long anyway. So, um, yeah. I mean, we've had months recently of kids just being sick, going through one after the other. I mean, even in our kids, there are some unresolved complexities. Questions that we have that are unanswered around health. And as a parent, it is draining. It's confusing. It's frustrating. It's tiring. It's depleting. Especially when every night we pray for the kids. We pray for our house. God, as we sleep tonight, Heal us in Jesus' name. There's a couple of things that I want to speak to before we go on. Firstly, you are not alone in this wrestle of holding the beauty of God's truth about healing and your experiences. You are not alone. Your questions are welcome here and I believe are not a sign of a lack of faith, but a deep commitment to working our faith out. And there are mysteries in God's kingdom, and there is no shame in not having all of the answers. Indeed, I would say that it is a gift that in community, we can hold space for each other in those questions, and in those doubts, and in that confusion, and in that uncertainty, and in that wrestle that we, you and I, can hold space for each other in the midst of all of that. I mean, perhaps it's more than just questions though. Perhaps, and rightly so, you are angry with God because he hasn't come through at the time in your life or in your family when you needed him or they needed him to most. And I understand that too. And I don't want to offer a tokenistic response to either your disappointment or your anger. Because in the midst of every chest pounding that we come to God with, God, you said. In the midst of every chest pounding we unleash on him, he is, as the psalmist writes, a strong tower, a refuge of strength. His chest is able to absorb everything that we give it. All of our anger, all of our disappointment, all of our unanswered questions as you stand there like a child banging on the father's legs, Dad, you said, and he is lovingly able to absorb all of that. All of it. So what I would love for us to do today as we consider Jesus and healing is to allow God's word to anchor us in the sea of many questions. That we would allow the truth of God's word to steady us where we're feeling shaky on this topic. That he would clarify our thinking where there is uncertainty on this or confusion on this topic That he would breathe confidence in our souls where there is doubt on this topic. And that he would in fact today meet us with healing where there is brokenness. In Mark 1.21 we first find Jesus and his small band of followers entering the small town of Capernaum. And the setting that we find these guys in is in church. Jesus was teaching He got up and it says in verse 22, and there was something different about Jesus and his teaching. Mark tells us that unlike the scribes, Jesus taught with one who had authority. And as Jesus preached, a commotion began to stir within the pews. And all of a sudden, a man described as having an unclean spirit Stands to his feet. It would be like somebody in the room right now standing to their feet as I preach. And yells out to Jesus, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And then Jesus, remembering the American televangelist come on air demon slayer that he'd watched on YouTube, walked up to the man. And he did a little jig. I've got Miko on this one. He gave him a left-right combo, fly kicked him to the chest, and the demon was cast to the depth of Hades. That didn't happen. I digress. I digress. This is why it takes me so long to read the Bible, because my imagination just runs wild on all the things that could have happened that in fact didn't happen. Jesus rebuked him by saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing the man and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And everyone in church that morning was like, what just happened? I mean, I had a similar experience. I shouldn't even say that. I once preached at C-Change and a guy stood up from the back row and called. He, he said, that's bull. And he like dropped the S word after that. That's bull. And I'm like, uh. <laughs> I don't know what to do here. So I carried on. Anyway, at the end of the service, this guy kicked me down the stairs at C-Change. If you've ever been there, I was walking down the stairs to get to my car. He walked up and kicked me <laughs> in the back down the stairs. And Brooke's like, Uh, what do we do here? And we walked out in the car park, sorted it all out. It was okay in the end. The thing, this is ministry. (laughs) Oh dear. But turning to each other with sheer amazement, they were all saying, what is this? A new teaching? A teaching with authority? He even commands the the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Like this is just... We haven't seen this before. And at once news spread about Jesus everywhere. You know, it's interesting to note that what amazed people the most was not in fact the fact that the crazy guy in the middle of church having an unclean spirit cast from him nor any of the other impressive healings that Jesus had done, although impressive, yes, and eye-opening, absolutely, amazing and bewildering, 100%. But what astonished them most was his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not like the teachers of the law. You know, this healing moment, was encapsulated by Jesus teaching with authority God's truth. The way that Jesus encapsulates God's truth and his message is in the phrase, good news, or the gospel of God. And we see this if we backtrack to verse 14, where it says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Or, if you like, the good news of God. And this is what Jesus is doing in church that morning, in the synagogue that morning. He is proclaiming the gospel. And the truth of that gospel, the good news, is this. In that same verse 14, the time is fulfilled, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in this gospel. You know, this was the foundation of Jesus' ministry. In fact, verse 38, which we heard, read to us a little bit further down, we can see clearly that proclaiming, that preaching the good news, teaching the gospel is why Jesus came. He says to his disciples, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I have come. Now, this proclamation that God's kingdom has come that God's reign and rule is at hand, that God's divine nature has in fact been embodied in the person of Jesus on earth, is the good news that Jesus came to preach. And it's the very good news that preceded the healing of this man. So when the message is preached that God has come near to us through Jesus, God awakens our souls. When the message that God has come near to us reaches our hearts, it awakens our minds and our bodies and our relationships to God's nearness. It is on the proclamation of the gospel that God is at hand, that God is here, that God is among us. And sometimes we say that from up the front and it might just feel like we throw that line away. But that is the good news. God is here. And it is that truth that awakens our minds to him. It awakens our bodies to him. It awakens our relationships to him. It awakens everything to him. When Jesus enters our spaces, he comes with the authority of his message that God's nearness transforms us. And I wonder this morning what the nearness of God wants to transform in us This morning. I wonder what the truth of the gospel being that God is here. I'm curious as to what that might mean for us. You know, I have faith to believe that every time we gather as the people of God to worship his name, that as the word says, where two or more are gathered, there he is in the midst of us. That he will and he wants to awaken us to the reality of his kingdom. And he wants to transform us by the power of his Holy Spirit. Our minds, our broken, busted hips and sore feet and weird, undiagnosable things, the grief that you carry, the offense that you're holding on to, the sin that just so easily, as the word says, entangles us. He wants to set that stuff free. And what I see in this encounter and what I love about the culture of this church is that healing doesn't need a song and a dance. It doesn't need big flashy lights and wild action. It doesn't need a big stage or a big name or a big campaign, indeed a big Anything, healing comes from the simple message that through Christ, God has come near. That is the testimony of this story in the synagogue in Capernaum. That through the the, the preaching of God's word that he is near, healing comes. This is what Jesus preached in the synagogue that day and we see a man totally set free. Because of the nearness of God. And without being too reductionistic, we can take from this encounter that in the wrestle of our own experiences, when prayers go seemingly or, in fact, clearly unanswered, at least in the way we thought or hoped they would, we can hold on to this truth, that God's kingdom is very close That God is so near to us. That Jesus Himself is so present with both the message of good news of God and with the authority to change your life. We hold on to that. In the midst of the wrestle of the beauty of God's Word and the testimony of healing, and our experience of just how that doesn't happen at times. Jesus is present and has the authority to transform your life, regardless of what that transformation is or needs to look like. It is the gospel that Paul writes that is the power unto salvation. It is the gospel that renews and heals bodies and minds. It is the gospel that heals families. It is the gospel that heals relationships and communities and cities and nations and governments. In fact, all of creation. The gospel informs and heals all of it. Such is the power of our good God. I mean, what happens next in the story is unassumingly powerful. And I found myself captivated in this transitional moment. Verse 29 tells us that immediately they left the synagogue. They left church. And now, when I leave church, probably much like you, I'm thinking about what's for lunch. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. I see you gathered, I see you make a beeline for the door, thinking about the burger you're going to have at lunch, the big feast you're having with the family. Now, first thing I'm doing is thinking about lunch and nap. I'm thinking I've just preached. I'm being a bit peopled out. I need to go and rest my voice and my mind and my body. I need to slip into my tracky dacks. I need to find a sunny spot. Get the paper, have a read, fall asleep. You know, we're pretty quick to move on to the next thing after church. There are events to be at and gatherings to get to and sport to watch and jobs to get done, shopping to sort out, uniforms to get ready, rest to catch up on. You know, we know the Sunday afternoon routine. Unfortunately, most of the time, it doesn't look like a nap in the sun with the paper. There is stuff that we've got to get to. what we see is that Jesus and Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John, these five men, weren't headed to the footy or to the movies. Not that there's anything wrong with going to the footy, because I'll be watching the sharks win at 2 o'clock this afternoon. Shame about the wallabies last night. But immediately they left church and they walked next door into Simon Peter's home which it has been archaeologically verified by the dirt diggers, of all persuasions that Peter's home has been discovered to be right next door to the synagogue in Capernaum. And as they dusted off all of the layers of earth, they even found fishing hooks in the dig site. How amazing is that? Avril was telling me she's been there, where the synagogue here and Peter's home was right next door. Anyway they entered his home to find his mother-in-law laying in bed ill with a fever and immediately the men told Jesus about her. They came and found him said hey Jesus, mother-in-law's not faring too well in here, a little bit hot, a little bit crook, sniffly nose, all of the things, got the fever going on and they came and found him and, and brought him into where she was laying, maybe on the lounge or the bed, I'm not entirely sure. But Jesus came to her and he, he just reached out his hand and he, he placed his hand upon her hand and, and maybe just holding it with a, just a really gentle grasp without saying much at all. He, just, he lifted her up from where she was laying. Maybe without words. And she was healed. And the fever entirely left her body. Just extending a hand of kindness and of compassion and of love. Jesus he just grabbed this lady's hand and, and lifted her up gently and slowly. And all of a sudden, the, the fever just Left her. And I know we know this, but it's here in the text today, and I want us to encourage us from it again that God doesn't want his nearness to be known only when we meet together here. That there is, I believe, to be no transition from God mode on a Sunday to the rest of life mode on a Monday. And as a church, this has been part of our DNA for 75 years. What God does here, he wants to do out there. The way he reveals himself to us when we meet together here. He wants to reveal himself to others through you, where you go out there. The hope that is imparted here, he wants that same hope to be released out there. The peace that is received in his presence here, he wants to be imparted into our spaces out there. The healing that is experienced here, he wants to be announced out there. And if you were with us last week hearing Steph share about the miraculous stories of Platform 9 and what we know to have been true through all of our community ministries is that God is doing an incredibly powerful work of restoration and of healing through 30 years of Jacaranda Cottage, through the last 8 or 10 years of Platform 9, through what is happening at the Sea Change op shop, through all of everything that we have given ourselves to. That is the vision of what God wants his church to be like. That for Jesus, it wasn't just enough to proclaim the gospel on a Sunday morning in the synagogue in Capernaum that the vision they give us is the overflow of what happens there goes into homes next door and next door and next door. That God wants to get in our everyday. This is the message of Mark. That God wants to get in our everyday, not just our Sunday. He wants his transforming presence and power to be known in our homes, in our families, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our sports clubs, wherever we find ourselves. And when we take what happens here as in what God does in us and what we hear as in the gospel preached on a Sunday and we invite God to use it through us on a Monday. However, why wait though? Because these guys show us that it happened by lunchtime on Sunday that we, what we see next in the text I believe is truly possible. And spoiler alert, that is, the manifestation of God's power and passion to transform people's lives, we will see the power of God at work to heal and restore. When we take the testimony of what God has done in us, we walk in the power and the truth of the gospel that says God is near. I have confidence, I have to, that God will in fact heal the broken things. And Mark continues in this section of Scrippy with two powerful healing moments. In the morning after Jesus had healed Simon Peter's mum-in-law and in fact most of the town that night came by the looks of things in verse 32 to 34. They all came and he healed them all. He got up early, he went off for a walk and a pray. The other lads woke up in the morning to find that Jesus was missing and they set out to find him. They found him quietly in God's presence, perhaps overlooking the town or the sea or wherever he may have been. They found him praying, not sure what he was praying, but he was alone in the presence of the Father, being refilled and being replenished and just drawing close. And after locating him, the disciples and Jesus got up from where they were And not long after this, a man with leprosy came to Jesus. Lepers were people suffering from all manner of skin disease, all of which cut the sufferer off from community. They They were considered ceremonially unclean. And notwithstanding the fact that no one else wanted to catch it, Lepers were treated with both fear and disgust. It's like when Corona first came out and the first person you knew got it. It's like, ugh, stay away, I don't want it. You know, there's a whole community of lepers who for them, that was their permanent reality. That was their lot in life to be the one for whom everyone else went, ugh, don't get too close, stay over there. You're not welcome here. I don't want that. Now, this man had doubt. The leper had doubt. Not in fact that Jesus could heal, but was he willing? Because this leper had either heard the stories, because in Capernaum and around Galilee, these stories would have been running like wildfire. The leper would have heard. He had no doubt that Jesus could, but his question was, Will you? He came out and said, If you will, can you make me clean? And it turns out that he need not have doubted because Jesus, filled with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will. I will. I will. It is the will of my Father. It is my will. It is why I am here. I will. I will. I will. And he says, be clean. Be clean. And instantly the leprosy left the man. I mean, this moment would have been huge for this man. Not only did Jesus risk infection himself, he deliberately became religiously unclean so that the man might become clean. Jesus' act of compassion and selfless love made a way for this man to be included in society again. It restored him to community. This act of healing restored him to relationships. This act of healing restored him to work, to purpose, to dignity, to a life of contribution and agency. I mean, what a powerful way for Jesus to communicate the power, the purpose of his coming, to draw near, to show compassion to be willing to take upon himself the sin sickness of humanity, that we may be made well and be restored to God, to community, to relationships, to dignity and to purpose. And I don't know why God hasn't healed the things that I'm praying for right now. But from his word, and I assure you I have wrestled with this all week, I must hold on to faith that he is compassionate and He is willing, not just to heal my hip or foot, but his compassion and willingness has already been seen by him taking on the sin disease in my life. He carried it painstakingly so to the cross. He marched it right into the grave where it was destined to take me and leaving it there, he emerged from the clutches of death, rising again in wholeness, in full bodily form Jesus' desire to see us healed is so much more deep and far reaching than you and I will ever know his compassion is without limit and his self-sacrifice so evident and this is the hard part that we must place our faith in his compassion and love not in our reasons for doubt that is the journey of faith That we place our trust in a God who is compassionate and willing. And we don't place our faith in our reasons or be them rightfully there. But we don't place our faith in those. We're going to wrap up in just a moment. and We're going to take communion. If someone who doesn't know Jesus asked you, what does salvation look like? They came to you and said, hey... You've been following Jesus for a while, Gav. Tell us what this all means. I would suggest that this passage of Scripture would be a great place to take them and have them tell you what do they see. As you read these three amazing encounters of healing, ask them, what does salvation look like here? And if you were having that conversation with me and you asked me to go and read these three incredible encounters of healing, of a man with an unclean spirit and a leper and the paralyzed guy that we didn't get to, which is a mad story. Go and read it in your own time. And if I read them and I looked at it, I see that it is good news to people's bodies because they were being healed. It is good news to their soul because they're being forgiven for sin. It is good news to our relationships because they're being brought near in community again. And today I have a hunch that God wants to move in power among us to heal bodies and to heal souls to reconnect people in community, in communion with God himself, perhaps in community with church. Maybe there's hurts there that have caused you to feel disconnected or have stepped away. We're going to take communion to finish up this morning together. And communion is the proclamation of the good news that Jesus is here. Emmanuel, God with us. That through the perfect and sinless life he lived, he showed us the way to life. That it was God's plan for salvation that his one and only son would take the sin of the world upon himself. That he would willingly surrender himself to a criminal's death upon a cross, paying in full humanity's price for sin. And then they buried him, believing that the God-man was done and dusted. However, three days later, the home of death proved no match for the God of life. And he had no option but to relinquish its hold on him. And he rose again to new life. And this very moment was the announcement that God is in charge now that His reign and rule governed all of life and that the resurrection, renewal and recreation were the order of the day. That resurrection was a flag in the ground that declares that God is near, that Jesus is here. And it's upon the authority and the authority of the good news of God that He is present that I want us to pray this morning. So we take communion that we would pray for the healing in our bodies, in each other's bodies, healing for our world, healing for the disconnections that exist between people and God, between us and God, between us and each other, between us and creation. That we would pray for healing for the bits that are sore and the bits that are hurt. We pray for healing for the bits that disconnect us and cause us to feel like we are not part of community. Because we see that God being near draws people back. We see that God being near heals bodies. We see that God being near restores souls. We see that God being near forgives sin. We see that God being near is the power of salvation. And so I invite you to come and grab communion and I wanna, I'll ask that our elders who are here just to maybe be up the, the back and I'll stand down here somewhere as well and if Anyone wants particular healing that you don't feel comfortable asking the person next to you for, go and see, uh, come and see myself or our elders or um, feel free just to tap the person next to you and say, hey, can you pray for this? Um, because there, there is no religiosity about this. I don't have any more or particular power than you have to heal. You know, there's a priesthood of all believers that we are all ministers to the body. That There's no special words. There's no... Um, You don't have to have a certificate on your wall that says I've got the certificate in healing or you've been to Bible, none of that. All of us have the authority and power of God because He is animating and filling us and empowering us to see His work among us. And so just pray for someone in Jesus' name. Just heal that thing, God. I mean, that's as as classy and elaborate as it's got to get. Jesus, you're here. Please heal this thing. In Jesus' name, amen. That's as simple as it needs to be. And we just put our faith in God that he will do the rest, that he will do the healing, that he will bring the renewal and the restoration. So I invite you to come and grab a piece of bread and some juice. Um, Feel free to take it with somebody or take it on your own or go and uh, receive prayer if you'd like some prayer. And if anyone's feeling particularly led, I would love prayer as well. Because I want this thing fixed. So anyway, how about it? And we'll we'll finish up in just a few minutes—five or so minutes.